The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. About are the low um, I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. Every week, huge, myself huge and my co-host, Dr. Scott Barber, come to you and bring you the information Mexico, that you need so that you can advocate for your family and for yourself with regard to your health care. We try to provide for you the information that you're not getting elsewhere, the information that doctors talk about or used to talk about in doctors' lounges before they became silenced by the uh, by the people who don't want us to talk about the things that are important to people anymore. The show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician-led healthcare think tank in the country. We are uh, a uh, organization that stands for the doctor-patient relationship and for healthcare freedom for all Americans. So we um, hope that you will continue to listen to our show, to tell people about us, and to support the show by generously contributing to the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. You can go to our website at d4pcfoundation.org and any contributions that you make allow us to continue to do the work that we do and that includes this show every week. And one of the people who does the work and who is a... uh, a, a true leader in healthcare freedom is the president of our organization. That's Lee Gross, who is the uh, one of the founders of the direct primary care movement and uh, a, uh, a an essential uh, leader in trying to advance this model of healthcare uh in in the country um, by teaching people especially those in power in state governments and in Washington about the benefits of direct primary care and why that is such an important model for patients to get the healthcare that they need and expect so it's with great pleasure that uh, we welcome my friend and uh, colleague Lee Gross back into the doctor's lounge. Good morning, Lee. Good morning, Hal. It is a pleasure to hear your voice, and I am happy to share that I can hear you crystal clear from Southwest Florida. Excellent, uh, and <laughs> and uh, we were we were worried for those of you, our listeners that we had a little bit of a technical problem this morning, and we were going to have some problems, but. Thank goodness we've gotten those ironed out. So, so I I uh, I, I wanted to uh, uh, have you on the show today, Lee, because a couple of weeks ago, a couple of shows ago, I uh, um, talked about some of the positive things that are happening in healthcare. Very often, this show uh, is is a little bit of a. a a downer talking about all the problems that we have in healthcare in this country, and um, there's some some optimism I think in terms of uh, efforts that are coming out of Washington, much of which you have been instrumental in helping to orchestrate. 
So rather than me uh, talking about what you've done, I wanted to have you come on and, uh, first of all, share with individuals. Um, every, I think most listeners on this show know what direct primary care is. And, uh, and I've, uh, I've sung your praises and those of, uh, your colleagues who deliver primary, direct primary care. But, um, perhaps you can just, um, briefly, um, once again, tell the audience about the model and the legislation that you have helped to spearhead coming out of both, um, the House of Representatives and the Senate. Absolutely. So I certainly don't want to, to overstate my active involvement in, in crafting legislation. Like what I can say is that we've definitely uh, been in contact with all the legislators that are that are actively crafting legislation, been involved in the drafting process, and, and speak with these folks and, and helping make creative uh, changes and suggestions. And, and obviously, the work that we're doing just generally in, in medicine is. Uh, sort of a, a guide for them as in terms of crafting their legislation. We, we're, we're showing them we're sort of the beacon for what works, and then they're using what works to help sort of craft some legislation around it to say, okay, well, let's let's ease up some restrictions and make it easier for this to be replicated in other places across the country. So, uh, as far as our work down here in Southwest Florida, we are a direct primary care practice, which basically means we are an insurance-free practice. We're we're not contracted contracted with any commercial insurance company. We're opted out of Medicare, uh, and we have been insurance-free and a cash-based uh, economy in, in healthcare for going on about 13 years now here in Southwest Florida. So yes, opted out of Medicare in Florida, uh, retirement zone here. Um, and we do so on a subscription basis in our practice. Uh, that's a flat monthly fee. Right now our flat monthly fee for primary care services is $85 a month for adults, $30 for one child, and $15 for each additional child. And after that, we don't charge anything for any services in our office. And we see primary care patients in our Southwest Florida practice come to us from all over the state of Florida. So in Northport, Florida, which is just south of Sarasota on the Gulf Coast, we see patients from Orlando, we see patients from Naples, we see patients from uh, from Miami, we see patients from Fort Lauderdale, and they all come over here to, for primary care because they can afford what it is we're selling. If you look at the Milliman Index, which was just released uh, just this week, uh, which shows that the average family of four for a PPO is now about $32,000 a year for their insurance. That's $32,000 with probably about, oh, maybe $12,000 of those coming out of pocket before the insurance even kicks in. Uh, they're basically buying a brand new automobile every year uh, before their insurance kicks in. That's the equivalent of that. Um, most people can't afford that. Uh, that is that is a mortgage payment. That is that is a, a, a bridge too far. And so, But they can afford a cell phone. They can afford the, the primary care services that we're providing. People say, well, you know, that's just primary care, but what else? Well, we can do about 85% of what most people need on a regular basis. So if we can do what everybody needs for cheaper than a cell phone, um, then why don't we start there? Why don't we just start by getting people the most basic aspect to manage their diabetes, to prevent illness, to treat your high blood pressure, to treat your cholesterol, uh, to remove that skin cancer before it becomes you know, invasive and spread somewhere. So that is what we've been doing for 13 years. Uh, and then we're now working with rural, a rural hospital, DeSoto Memorial Hospital, and we have uh, integrated our direct primary care into their self-funded employee health plan. Uh, we've been doing that now. We're in our fourth year of that project. 
so the hospital basically has designed the plan around us, and if employees sign up with our direct primary care practice, the hospital pays for it for them. Uh, and if we order any test whatsoever or any, any service whatsoever, it is covered 100% automatically with no requirements for us to get any authorizations or pre-approvals. The approval is Dr. Gross's practice ordered it. That is the process for us to get things authorized. So they fully trust our practice, and they do not hire people that are lesser trained to oversee the services that we provide because they, they say, why would we hire somebody to, to oversee the highest trained person in the chain of this? So they trust us to be physicians. They don't hire nurses to oversee physicians. Uh, and the savings have been astronomical, uh, despite the fact that we've created zero deductibles, zero uh, cost uh, access to primary care services, zero cost access to MRIs, zero cost access to services, no co-pays. Uh, we have lowered costs. Everybody else has, has done the opposite. They've raised deductibles, they've raised premiums. And through four and a half years, oh, not, not four and a half years, oh, no, actually, we went on four and a half years. Uh, we have lowered their employee uh, health plan costs by 55% and sustained those since our entire time there. We have not seen a single penny increase in employee premiums in the four years that we've been involved in that. The employees have seen a 20% uh, reduction in their premiums since the day we came on board, and that price has not gone up. We've seen a 30% decrease in employee out-of-pocket costs across the board for uh, services at the time or for payments at the time of any service we saw about a 50 percent reduction in emergency room visits emergency room visits about a 50 percent reduction in specialty consultations because we have time now to actually provide the patient care we're no longer treating the insurance company we're treating the patients we're not hiring staff to fight with insurance companies we're hiring staff for patient care uh, and so in order in doing so we're not taking our eye off the ball. We're not texting and driving. We're actually solely focused on the patient, which means you know, we're capable of managing diabetes. We're capable of managing rheumatologic conditions. We don't have to refer these patients to specialists because we don't have the time to care for them, uh, which is what happens in many primary care services. Uh, so we've done something that most people haven't been able to do. We have been able to stabilize the finances of rural health, a rural hospital. Rural hospitals around the country are going out of business. This rural hospital is having its best financial years in its history since we've basically cut their number two in, uh, in, uh, number two expense uh, by 55%. Uh, that is a huge win in, in rural health care. It's a huge win for primary care. And happy to say that we just signed a three-year contract extension with them. Uh, based upon those successes, we've also just now uh, signed a contract with Gasparilla Resort in Boca Grande, and we're now... Uh, any of their employees, or their 400 employees and their family members are welcome to sign up for our direct primary care practice, and it's also free to them. And we're replicating uh, the services thanks to the help of our friend uh, Carl Schusler, uh, who is designing the employee health plan around us. So those are the successes that we've had. We've built an entire free market economy. We're doing cash bundled surgeries at this hospital. We've created an entire network of cash-based imaging centers, cash-based laboratory services, specialty services. And so we have created a price-transparent cash network uh, where consumers that, that want value and quality can come to shop for healthcare services. This doesn't exist pretty much anywhere in, in the nation. Uh, but this is what we've what we've proven now. We have a proof of concept now going on 13 years, where you can not use insurance for the for the routine stuff. You can pay cash for routine MRIs and and actually even for surgeries. 
uh, and then use the insurance for the big stuff. And that was our entire point is let's not insure the little stuff. Let's insure the big stuff because insurance is bad at, at, at interacting with every single transaction. It's like filing an insurance claim to get your gas tank filled. Now, can you imagine uh, what the insurance company would tell you when you could drive, where you can drive, when you can take a vacation if you had to get authorization for every time you fill the gas, you know, your gas in your car? But that's what we're trying to do in primary care by insuring every single aspect of primary care. So we've eliminated all of that stuff. And the amazing thing is that the prices come down drastically. So our MRI price 13 years ago was $225. Our MRI price today is $250. So that is the massively skyrocketing cost of healthcare that we're seeing in a cash-based economy. What we're paying for laboratory services now is almost identical to what we paid a decade ago. What we're paying for for specialty care, for the labor uh, of the specialists, uh, is nearly identical to what it was uh, a decade ago. Our prices for stress tests haven't changed. Our prices for echoes haven't changed. Uh, so we're when we're not working for we're working through an insurance company, the price of care actually gets stabilized. Uh, so what we're seeing now is that um, there is interest in Washington to, to sort of look at the work that, that we and others like us around the country have been doing. Say, okay, so we see that this works, and, and you know, we had concepts of how it would work, and now we have proof of concept that it does, in fact, work. What sort of policies and, and procedures can we do here in Washington or at the state level that can get out of the way of this innovation and let, let it happen? So it is exciting to start seeing some of this, some of this innovation. Uh, so before I just sort of jump, jump into into sort of legislative efforts, I'll let you sort of jump in. So I, before I completely hijack your show, Hal. <laughs> well, you know that's funny because you said you weren't prepared to do a monologue, but yet you've done a great one right there. <laughs> but well, con- not my favorite topic. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations on all the successes, and I think that the people in Northport, Florida, are very fortunate to have you and your practice. They're giving giving the the kind of care that that uh, people around the country only wish that they could have had. Um, I have a couple of questions before we talk about the legislative piece. Um, one is a statement, one's a comment. You know, it's very interesting because when I talk to people about direct primary care, which I'm one of the biggest cheerleaders as a as a specialist, that's not a direct primary care doctor. Um, Every the first thing that comes out of people's mouth is, "Oh, you mean concierge medicine?" And I, I know that you've you've uh, had to uh, um, uh, feel that that uh, that comment time and time again. So I think that uh, you've done a good job of of explaining how this is not concierge medicine, but it is it is subscription medicine, which is very different because concierge medicine depends on on uh, an insurance based platform. Yeah, if I could put it in, in one sentence, I would say that, that that concierge is the care that you want, and direct primary care is the care that you need. <laughs> okay, I like I like that. You always have a way of putting things in in in, in uh, a uh, easily recognizable little uh, statement. Um, since you know, I, I, what, one of the things that uh, I talked about a few shows ago when I was talking about direct primary care was the the astronomical growth of the model, and now that they're, they're approaching about two thousand direct primary care practices 
in the U.S. with with that growth in direct primary care. Is that a reflection of people who were in practice um, realizing that they no longer wanted to participate in an insurance model and they uh, decided to transition their practices into direct primary care? Or is it a, um, or have you seen an increase in the number of people coming out of primary care, uh, family, family medicine, um, uh, residencies who are um, just launching direct primary care practices or a combination of both? It is absolutely a combination of both and even, and even beyond that. So, yes, definitely it, uh, you know, the system is so broken. Uh, the system is so you know, beating down the, the, the physicians. The independent physicians are getting destroyed by the system. Uh, the, the physicians that are employed that are employed by hospitals, by private equity, uh, are all just being you know, just just beaten to death by by the system. So they are looking for any escape, and this is the this is the easy, but well, it's not easy, but this is the the, the obvious solution for for many of those folks. Uh, and much to our surprise, you know, Hal, as we put on these conferences, you know, we expected a bunch of white-haired guys like you and me showing up all angry, uh, just like at all the other conferences, showing up and saying, I want a way out. Uh, but in fact, what we actually attracted was a very young group right out of residency, uh, maybe just just out of residency, just maybe working in a hospitalist position that, are, that see this as the future of, of primary care. Uh, so we're seeing lots of people start to pick this up right out of residency or just a couple of years out of residency or maybe burned out by the system two years into, into practice. Then we're also seeing specialists now that are starting to convert their practices over to direct pay practices. It may not necessarily be a subscription like we're doing. You know, how many gallbladders do you need taken out? You don't need a membership for that. Uh, but cash-based uh, systems are, are starting to, to pop up all around the country. Mm-hmm. So you you have uh, you and and friends of ours who are leaders of the direct primary care movement have shown um, people in state government in Washington and federal government that this proof of concept works. So tell now that you've um, been able to uh, prove this now that you're able to show the concept is a viable one. Tell everyone about what is um, hopeful going forward coming out of Washington. Yeah, so in general, I would say that there's not a lot hopeful coming out of Washington, uh, and sometimes the, the best things coming out of Washington is that there's gridlock because gridlock allows uh, people to continue to innovate without, uh, without you know, federal regulations sort of getting in the way and, and muddying things up a little bit. Uh, there's basically three three pieces of legislation that we're really keeping our eye on. Uh, these are things that have that have been taking years to develop. Uh, and so the first one is the Primary Care Enhancement Act. And if, if people have been listening to the show for a while, this, this is probably something that's familiar to them. Uh, this is a bill that uh, in the Senate is being introduced and has been introduced again by Senator Cassidy. Uh, this is a bill in the past that we had actually opposed, we had vigorously opposed, because it's a, it was a good bill that was horribly written. Uh, and basically what this is supposed to do is fix the health savings account tax treatment of direct primary care memberships. 
Uh, so as, as you probably recall, the Internal Revenue Service had sort of taken a position that a membership is not health care and therefore uh, you can't use a health savings account to pay for a membership. And we've gone round and round with the Treasury Department and we had an executive order by President Trump that ultimately the rule was never finalized before uh, he left office. Uh, and so the Primary Care Enhancement Act, having been introduced many times, does fix this through not regulation but legislation. Uh, and in the past, the wording of this was horrible. Uh, and they, and the wording they had, they had capped how much money physicians could charge for their services. Uh, they had very, very narrowly defined primary care so much that they almost, almost defined primary care out of primary care. Uh, and they blocked physicians from, from dispensing wholesale medications and all sorts of things. But I would tell you happily that over years and years of fighting this fight and working with, with uh, Senator Cassidy and his team, uh, we have finally got this legislation where we need it. The, the language is now great. Uh, so there still is a cap uh, of $150 for the membership, but it's not a cap on what you can charge. It's a cap on what you can deduct from your taxes. So in the past, they were telling you how expensive your house can be, but now they're telling you how much mortgage interest you can deduct. Uh, so that that's certainly something we can handle. Uh, you know, you're not telling us what we can charge for our services, but you're saying how much of it is tax deductible or, or eligible for, for the health savings account tax deductions, which we're great with. It now, it, it defines direct primary care perfectly. Uh, the language is, is great, and so we're very happy with this bill. It has bipartisan uh, sponsors. Uh, it was a bipartisan bill in the past. It has been reintroduced again as a bipartisan bill, and my hope is that uh, this is the year for the Primary Care Enhancement Act. Uh, so I don't have bill numbers for you right off the top of my head, but uh, Senator Bill Cassidy's Primary Care Enhancement Act is one that we want to see passed uh, this year. Uh, that will definitely help expand the uh, direct primary care model, especially for employer health plans that want to offer this as a benefit and the employers have health savings accounts eligible uh, sponsored health employee health plans, which are great. Well, I think that the fact that there's some bipartisan support is is a plus. I think that people are now realizing how broken health care is, and if we can get both sides of the aisle to agree that that's the case and that there are better solutions that don't involve insurance companies, um, I think that, um, that this is a, a gigantic win. Absolutely. So the, uh, in the short time I've got here, because I, I have a, a full house here, um, there's two other pieces of legislation I just wanted to, uh, to touch on and have people keep their, eye, their eyes on. Uh, the, the, the Personalized Care Act, this is a bill that was introduced by Senator Cassidy and, and Congressman Chip Roy. Uh, this is a, a, an innovative bill. Uh, while it also fixes the direct primary care health savings account issue, it completely decouples health savings accounts from qualified health insurance or the high deductible health plan requirement. You can now use, a, under this program, a health savings account to purchase any kind of coverage, sharing ministries, in, indemnity plans, uh, all sorts of services. So it also increases the limits of contribution because as of right now, the, the cap on health savings account uh, contributions is actually lower than most deductibles. And almost every health plan that's for sale now on the uh, on the uh, health care ex- uh, government exchanges, uh, 
they're not eligible for health savings accounts because the deductibles are too high. So this sort of fixes that that issue uh, and allows more people to contribute to the health savings account. But can you imagine, you know, just like we've created a, an environment where you pay cash for routine services and then have insurance for the big stuff, this allows every individual to do that, not just not just a, 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 an employer. So you can basically fund a health savings account for life uh, and purchase the insurance that you need as a safety net and then basically self-fund all the routine, wow. routine stuff. So that what, completely would revolutionize uh, much of the health care. What's the name of that bill? That is the Personalized Care Act, and it has not yet been introduced uh, it is in its sort of final phases of, of tweaking the wording, and I expect that that's going to be introduced any day now. Okay. And then Pete Sessions of Texas, Senator Pete Sessions, uh, introduces the uh, Patient uh, Fairness Act, I believe it is the, let me just look at the actual name of it. Uh, it is the Healthcare Fairness for All Act. Uh, this is a bill that I want to love. Um, I, I, I have to be honest with you, I have not actually looked at the language of this because it was introduced while I was on vacation. So, uh, And I sat in an hour-long uh, web session with, with Senator Sessions, and, and uh, I'll be honest with you, I, I still don't know what's in it. <laughs> what's in it. Um, it, it you know, it, it apparently fixes the direct primary care issue. Uh, it uses tax credits to... to Fund for people to, to purchase personalized health care. Uh, so it, it is supposed to be a personalized option that uses the, the, the tax code to allow individuals to to carry and own their own their own accounts. So uh, again, if that's one of the issues I run into, you know, listening to Republicans talk about health care is you know the Democrats are great telling stories and the Republicans pull out charts and graphs. Um, I listened to an hour of charts and graphs, and I'm still not quite sure what <laughs> what the bill is. But um, I can tell you that the the bill is is supported by John Goodman, who you know I, I know and respect. The bill is supported strongly by the uh, uh, Americans for Prosperity, who I travel around the country and speak uh, for them on health policy to to state lawmakers across the nation. So uh, I'm encouraged that if they're in support of this and we're involved in, in some of the language that, that we're gonna that I'm gonna like it. Uh, but that's definitely one to keep keep an eye on uh, for sure. It, it was just introduced uh, about two and a half weeks ago in the mm-hmm. legislature. So I um, I'd like to give the listening audience a uh, some instructions about what they can do, give them some direction. And I think that what I'm hearing you say <clears throat> is that people who are listening need to call their senators and their representatives and um, strongly urge them to support these bills, the Direct Primary Care Enhancement Act, the Personalized Care Act, and right now, even though this is just in the House, get the their representatives to support the Health Care Fairness for All Act. Yeah, I think they, you know, co-sponsorship support, um, at least, you know, familiarize them with, with the legislation. There's so many pieces of legislation that, that nobody knows all of what's being introduced, so just letting them know that, that it's there and that they, you know, that they like their support of it, uh, I think would be very helpful. Well, you know, that's, that's, I think, what people can do. They're always looking to, uh, find what they can do. Everybody's frustrated that I speak to that there's, there, there, there's so much going on and they have no control over 
the the direction of things, and this might be uh, a positive uh, direction that we can point people in to uh, have them advocate for themselves about uh, the future of health care in this country. Absolutely. It's not that there's a lack of ideas. There are lots of ideas out there. It's just, you know, sometimes it's best for 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 Congress to get out of the way and just let it happen, and, and sometimes uh, we actually need them to step in and, and, and nudge the door open a little bit. So this is the case where we need them to step in and, and help out a little bit. Well, you know, I, I appreciate you uh, stopping in this morning, Lee, and sharing all of this information about um, your 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 practice, about direct primary care in general, and uh, the efforts that you are too modest to uh, to take any credit for helping to shape, but nonetheless were instrumental in in. Uh, uh, influencing uh, in Washington. So I know you've got a busy practice. I've got people waiting to see you and, and get their their uh, their appointments in. And so, uh, once again, I want to thank you so much for being with us this morning. Thanks, Al. Have a great day. You too. I hope you'll come back soon. Definitely. Okay, great. All right, we're up for a hard break right now, so thanks for um, listening to the first half of this uh, show, and we'll be back um, in just a moment with uh, more of the Doctor's Lounge. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We are back in the doctor's lounge, and uh, we've just had uh, a nice conversation with Lee Gross, the president of the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. Um, Lee is very modest, too modest to take any credit for the work that he's done. But without Lee, I will um, uh, go out on a limb and say that direct primary care in this country would not be where it is today. Um, he um, was one of the first practices in the country to offer this model, and he has been a, a leader and a, a strong voice teaching people in um, 
in state legislatures and in Washington, D.C., um, how this can benefit patients. And for politicians, um, that doesn't necessarily always uh, seem to be the most important uh, uh, issue for them because they're beholden to the big um, special interests like insurance companies. But nonetheless, um, it's it's a compelling argument when Lee um, gets in front of a group and shows the graphs and the charts that he um, uh, does not himself like very much, but instead likes to tell stories. But he loves to tell the story about how he saved how one of his patients who went to the emergency room for stomach ache spent $20,000 on nothing. And if they would have come to his practice right away, instead of going to the emergency room, he could have provided the exact same care to them for under $300. So that's a, a compelling story that that is eye-popping when he gets in front of a big group of legislators and uh, you, they can't help but take notice and um, and kudos to him I'm, I'm uh, proud to call him a f- my friend and um, uh, equally proud to support the work that he's doing which we at Docs for Patient Care have supported for now, now 14 years and uh, conferences that we put on every year that Lee alluded to are uh, conferences that teach direct primary care to not just uh, uh, the gray hair people like myself and Lee, but to the young people coming out of their residency training who are looking for a different answer than working for a hospital, working for a practice that is churning patients every seven minutes so that they can um, pay the bills. And uh, this direct primary care model is the real deal and something that uh, I have many more questions to, that I would have liked to have asked Lee if he were on the phone. We'll get him back again, hopefully not too long from now, so that we can have him teach again some of the concepts that he has helped spearhead. So changing gears from a positive to a negative, which I seem to be very good at, I want to um, point out what now is on everybody's mind, what everybody is seeing these days, which is the attempt by corporations to embrace um, the woke culture's biggest push, which is mainstreaming transgenderism. Um this is in the news every single day, and it is um, coming to a head. Anheuser-Busch has embraced transgenderism, and in doing so, they've lost billions of dollars. Um, their stock has plunged 20%. Their sales are down 26%, and their th- Thousands upon thousands of pallets of Bud Light that are expiring that they can't give away. Um, this is because of the backlash that they are experiencing over the embrace of transgenderism by Anheuser-Busch. Um, if you'll recall, they 
they uh, th- this all came about because of their promotion of the transgender influencer Dylan Mulvaney and putting him on a can of Bud Light. And the um, Anheuser-Busch Corporation, which is no longer an American corporation, but a foreign-run corporation, they, they are indifferent to their customers, but rather beholden to an agenda which is geared towards transforming the, the culture of America. And so in doing so, they have abandoned their stockholders and their customers in the name of change that appeases and that satisfies the woke agenda. Other businesses have jumped on this bandwagon for pushing the transgender um, mantra. Target featured in the front of its store women's bathing suits designed for men with a contraption that was put into the crotch designed so that men can tuck their penises and pretend to be women. Because of this, they've lost over $9 billion in revenue over the ensuing backlash. People are now speaking with their pocketbooks. Historically, the conservative movement has been notoriously bad <coughs> at boycotts, at, at punishing businesses that are acting against the the um, beliefs of conservatives. So these businesses have continued to push their left woke agenda. The left has no problem in boycotting businesses that are conservative, but conservatives have historically been very bad up until now. And it's happening across a whole swath of businesses as they embrace this transgender agenda. Land's End has gone woke, featuring a transgender model in a recent ad campaign who was flaunting her mustache wearing a dress. Nike has done the same. Disney has gone woke. They have now in the front of their theme park in Florida, a bearded Snow White greeting the kids as they come into the theme park. The L.A. Dodgers are facing intense backlash over the decision to let trans men dress up as nuns and participate in their Pride Night celebration. You have Major League Baseball stars who are coming out saying that this is not right. This pushback is not, I repeat, is not a transphobic reaction, as the 
left wants you to believe. Rather, it is a reaction to the woke community that is pushing this transgenderism in the faces of America, making them not accept it, but embrace it. It's not enough to be tolerant. You have to embrace it, celebrate it, and endorse it. If you don't do that, then you are transphobic. And that is absolute nonsense. That's why there is a backlash. Hardly anyone cares about what people do in the privacy of their own homes or how people wish to conduct their lives. But when this movement comes after our children or tries to subvert women's sports, who've, women who have worked so hard to get even footing with men's sports, then they have crossed the line and people are reacting. And it's about time. Mainstream America has reached its boiling point over this issue. It's not just conservatives who are doing so. It's not just, quote, air quotes, MAGA Republicans. God, how I hate that term, MAGA Republicans. I think that as conservatives, we should... Instead of calling the left the left or calling them Democrats, we should just call them extreme Marxist communists and push back with the same rhetoric that they so easily spew against conservatives. What's happening is ordinary, everyday Americans are pushing back. People who want to see businesses get out of the business of political correctness. Everyday Americans want to see women's sports protected and not trashed. People, everyday Americans, don't want to see their kindergartners watching drag shows in school. To, de- to desensitize them to what's going on so that it almost becomes commonplace and mainstream. Average everyday Americans are pushing back because they don't want their children receiving drugs or surgery to alter their bodies without parents knowing about it. This is a war. It's a war for the soul of America. This pushback that we're seeing is about time. Governor Kay Ivey, governor of Alabama, signed House Bill 261 into law this week, which is a significant safeguard into protecting women's sports in Alabama. This legislation restricts transgender students from participating in sports based on claiming that their sex is different than the one that they were born with. 
It protects the, the women's sports in public colleges and universities. This will soon trickle down into high school level and eventually to the elementary school level. This comes on the heels of last month's announcement by World Athletics, which is the governing body for track and field in the world for most track and field and running events. And they announced that transgender women who went through male puberty can no longer compete in women's events at international competitions. This seems like such a common sense issue. But the world is on, is upside down right now. It's on fire. And so this lunacy has to be fought one battle at a time. And everybody has to fight it. It has to be all hands on deck. Gender-affirming treatments in minors, hormones, puberty blockers, surgery, has been banned in 16 states now, with bills that are pending in over a dozen more. And yet, states like Minnesota have passed law a law that not only permits such treatment, but encourages it. They do so by declaring themselves as, quote, sanctuary states, end quote, for children who seek such treatments even without the consent or the knowledge of their parents. This is happening where children are being influenced by teachers or other trans activists and parental rights are being completely ignored. They're being abrogated, taken over. The governor of Minnesota is the one who is allowing this to happen. This is a war. It's designed by those socialist leftist Marxists to tear our country apart from the inside You know, we have enough adversaries on the outside trying to do that. But that will fail unless we are torn apart from the inside. And that's what these people aim to do. Transgenderism is the flavor of the month for these leftists. So they are running with it. But it, this, this movement, this woke movement, takes many forms, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, BLM, Black Lives Matter, climate change, ESG, which is the environmental, social, and governance criteria that businesses are using as to whether or not they want to invest in certain companies. This is all part of the Marxist agenda, and it's multifaceted. It's a multifaceted attack on every institution. It has to be, because if it was focused on one, it could be combated more easily. But if it is a attack from all sides, it's very, very hard to fight back, and that's their game plan. 
every aspect of society is being attacked. But the left may have overplayed their hand with respect to women's sports or pushing transgenderism in our faces, trying to separate our children from their parents. When the issue is obvious, normal people, not MAGA Republicans, not conservatives, normal people will see what's happening and they'll respond and they'll put a stop to this madness, recognizing how wrong it is, how bizarre it is. You know, this is, if you, I love to, um, to think back on the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Which is kind of, kind of old fashioned and cliche, but there's a scene in there when George Banks, George Banks, what, no, um, not Banks, um, I, I'm blocking on his last name, but the, the, uh, the James Stewart character, um, is, uh, had wished that he wouldn't have been born. And the world he sees, if he wasn't here, is just completely upside down from the, the kind and caring and normal world that existed that he was just depressed about. And that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing that Pottersville kind of world that um George Bailey, thank you. The nerves, the neurons don't fire quite as quickly as they used to, but the information is still in my head. The world that George Bailey sees when he, which is completely bizarre and upside down, that's the world that we are facing right now, and, and it is wrong, and good people are recognizing this and pushing back. But unfortunately, not all of the efforts of the Marxists, of the woke crowd, are so flagrant, which is unfortunate, because if they were, it would be easier to fight back and to try to put a stop to this. Much of this, unfortunately, is clandestine. It's stealth. It happens with policies made by boards, which are pushing this agenda by people who have been indoctrinated and brainwashed into believing all of this nonsense. If people like me lived in China, I would have already been put into an indoctrination camp because I cannot accept this, what's going on, and uh, most good people can't. But this movement has infected politics, the media, social media, education, the military, the administrative state, like the FBI or the IRS, businesses, and yes, even medicine. How has it infected medicine? I'll give you some examples. DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, now is included in training programs around the country. Medical schools require this in as part of their curriculum, giving up core parts of their curriculum, which every doctor should have, but are being minimized or eliminated 
in favor of teaching DEI. When I have to apply for recertification for my state license or for hospital recertification or insurance recertification, you have to show that you've taken a two-hour course in DEI in order to be able to um, to be eligible to renew those licenses that you've had for years. Another example, um, the efforts that are being made around the country to give selective care to people who are black and brown um, to the exclusion of people who are white. The program out of Boston where um, people who are black and brown will get care um, that is um, that that is uh, preferential to those that of white people as a means of trying to make up for all of the inequities of the past as a means of quote um, there being a a, a true up um, a uh, you know, it, it's it's a it's a it's a, to make them feel good. And and in medicine, we learn that there is no such thing as skin color or ethnicity. If you've got people who are in need of care, you treat everybody the same. But that's not what these Marxists are pushing. Um, this is this is what's happening in healthcare. Um, Taking DEI to another level, allowing people to come into medical schools or any professional school for that matter, based on the, their, their ethnic group or their, the color of their skin rather than their credentials, replacing meritocracy with identity. This is creating a a new environment of dumbing down our health care to a point where the care that you receive in the future may not be given by people who are as qualified as they once were. That's the direction that the Marxists, the woke people, are taking us with this effort. Even the policies by our specialty boards the specialty boards are being populated by people who have been brought up in this in this woke environment and their ideas are very different than the ideas of those of their predecessors which was excellence in their craft and in their specialties but now what they're Pushing is an agenda of equity, making sure that everything is equal, not based on equality, but based on characteristics. This is very, very dangerous. So, what can people do? And um, I'm, I've been, I've been, um, uh, 
not instructed, but counseled that people want direction. People want to know what they can do. What they can do is they can start pushing back and telling their legislators could start one thing at a time that they want the their medical schools and their law schools and their their professional schools to to give positions based on meritocracy not on identity or push back against um taking our children away from us and and uh, the states that are allowing this to happen, pushing back and fighting on behalf of our children or fighting on behalf of our women who are who have fought so hard <clears throat> for equality in, in sports. So that's that's where I'm going to leave you today and give everybody <clears throat> marching orders to start being activists yourself and getting engaged with your legislators and telling them that you are no longer going to accept the woke agenda on these issues. Thanks for being with us today. I hope you enjoyed the show, and stay tuned. Uh, Next week, join us again when we come back with another episode of The Doctor's Lounge. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.